Well, grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, we've been going through um, studying the story of Bethlehem, right? And we went all the way back to uh, it as a city of sorrow when Rachel died. That's our first introduction to, to the city. It's associated with death and a tragic death at that. We, we, we've seen it as a city of redemption with the story of Ruth. This past Wednesday, we, we saw it at our candlelight service, the city of Messiah, Micah, uh, foretold. Right there in the middle of all the judgment you get in the book of Micah over injustice and uh, the, the breakdown of religious order and everything else is the promise that despite uh, the unworthiness of Israel, God will still send his Messiah. And here we see that it is the city of royalty. Of course, if we had more weeks, we could have seen that in the story of David, of course, born in Bethlehem. Um, But we had to do a little bit of skipping in our study. Luke chapter 2, page 905 of your pews. And if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The evangelist Luke writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. To offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, as always, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands, and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ. Uh, this is a story that we are all familiar with. No doubt we have read through it multiple times over the last month, but don't let our familiarity uh, uh, keep us from seeing its message and its beauty. He pointed us to uh, one who became a man, who became sa- our Savior. Would you be so kind? In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. We've seated. Well, since it is Boxing Day and Christmas was yesterday, I, I assume that 
uh, you haven't gotten to play with all of your toys yet. Uh, or maybe there is a gift or two that really sticks out to you that maybe you got. I, I can share with you two gifts that I got that uh, you may or may not be interested in. Uh, the first was uh, one of the cheaper gifts I got, and that was a, a book of dad jokes for my parents. Uh, and they are as cringy as any dad, a good dad joke should be, right? Uh, can I give you my favorite dad joke? Hope you're sitting down. Hope you're ready for this. What is red? And bad for your teeth. A brick. <laughs> just, that is hilarious. That is just hilarious. You didn't see that one coming, did you? You were trying to think of, of all kinds of stuff. Um, it, it's, it's a brick. Uh, for those of you who, who, who watched the newest Ghostbuster movie, this, this joke was in the movie. It's also in the book. Here we go. Um, what is a fish with no eyes? What do you call a fish with no eyes? <laughs> it's, it's just so good. I mean, it's awful. This is so good. It's so good. I give you about a dozen more, but uh, remember that. Remember that comment about save them for later. Yeah, though I will. <laughs> You're going to get them regardless. Guarantee it. Um, uh, the other great gift I got was probably cheaper than the book. It came from the in-laws, so you know. It just, you know, uh, it was Michael Scott who, 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 with gifts, he thought, what you're expressing in a gift is I love you X amount of dollars worth. So what I got from my in-laws was, and I kid you not, I meant to bring it to prove it to you because you may not believe me. They gave me Aqua Fresh Body Wash. That's not a dad joke. I literally got a bottle of Aqua Fresh body wash. Virtually every year they give me something to, to, to bathe with. It's usually a bar of soap. I'm a soap guy because um, you couldn't find body wash in the men's section of, of the store, nor should you be able to find body wash in the men's section this day. But nevertheless, that's not what the point of the text is. So those are my, my two gifts that I got, one from my parents, the other from, from the, the outlaws. But nevertheless, I, I trust you, you, you got plenty of gifts. And like we say every year, the kids didn't need anything, but they got way too much. And now we have to find room for it all. And I think a Dumpster would would be a great place of locating some of it, but nevertheless, um, the missus will divorce me if I did that. But but when it comes to the Christmas, we do talk a lot about gift giving and gift receiving, and rightly so. And there's nothing wrong with that. But but my family would tell you I'm a bit of a uh, Christmas curmudgeon. I'm wearing my Grinch tie, and there's there's good reason for that. I I am a bit of a Grinch. Whenever Grinch is up or saying noise, 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 right? That's me. Right? That, that is me. And, and the commercialization of Christmas does, does make it icky a little bit to me. I, I love the music. I, I love what Christmas stands for. But um, I don't understand why we allow ourselves to be stressed during Christmas. It's stuff like that I, I don't like. But regardless, uh, but when we think of the story of Christmas, at its core is a gift, isn't it? It isn't a, a gift that, that we give. There isn't anything for us to give but rather is a gift we can only receive. It is the best gift that we can receive, and that is the eternal Son, one with the Father, adds to his nature that, is, that of flesh. And tis mystery all, the immortal then dies. Well, I, I trust you are familiar with the story. It begins with the first seven verses with the signs. Now, in verses 1 to 3, we discover there is a tax, right? And uh, much like taxes today... Uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Roman government 
has its clear reasons for, for taxes, right? And there's two general reasons why you tax people. One is for the military, right? Or I'm sorry, the census. The census has really two purposes. One is military. If you're going to have a draft, you've got to know who it is that, that is in, uh, in, in your country. The other is for taxes. You've got to find them in order to tax them, right? And, and that, that's mainly what, what Caesar's doing here. He's come to power in the years prior, and he's going to send out a taxes. And so both Mary and Joseph are involved. And, and although Jews were, for the most part, exempt from military service, they are involved with the whole tax part, right? So they got to go to be counted by the Roman government. Now, Jews hated taxation, and they often would refuse to pay, particularly Roman taxation. If you were to calculate what uh, the average Jew would pay towards the temple, uh, their tithe, and their taxes, a considerable chunk of their income went towards these entities. And so they particularly were against the Roman government. Uh, in fact, some of the most hated people, I'm, I trust you're familiar with, some of the most hated people in the Jewish world in the first century Roman world were tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors, because it was believed that they were they had betrayed the Jewish cause. Two famous tax collectors we meet in the Bible, both seem to have some significance. One is Matthew, right, who wrote the gospel, becomes one of the disciples, then apostles. The other is, of course, a wee little man named Zacchaeus, who seemed to have been a very prominent tax collector uh, and a very wealthy one. Now, because of the census, Joseph has to take his young family to his hometown of Bethlehem. That is about an 85 to 90 mile uh, uh, distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That would have taken, uh, uh, most estimates say, uh, by foot. Uh, the Bible never mentions a donkey. That doesn't mean she wasn't riding a donkey, but then there ain't, ain't no donkey in, in the story. A donkey shows up at the end of Jesus life when he enters Jerusalem. Then it probably took five to six days to get to Bethlehem. Although if Joseph did not provide a donkey with his very pregnant wife, well, no wonder he didn't live very long after that, right? I mean, let's just be honest, ladies. <laughs> you think Mary, like, if Jesus was acting up as a teenager, let me tell you how I brought you into this world. It wasn't easy. That, that father of yours, right? I don't know. That's not in the text, so we can't say that. Um, uh, but you see there that he, they're of the lineage of David. It was imperative that Jesus be a descendant of David. We, we walked through the entire uh, uh, this, um, uh, genealogy of Jesus last Christmas. I know that was very riveting for everyone to read a genealogy. But, but nevertheless, he is of the line of David. Thus, he has uh, a rights to the throne of David. You notice there, verse 5, we are told that they are betrothed. They are, they're, they're, they're betrothed, but you remember Joseph wants to divorce his, his wife, right? So, so we often read these words in, in English vernacular as they're married, but they weren't married. They were betrothed, which is the closest we can get in English. The way it works then is you got engaged, which you, you didn't have an engagement period. Most marriages were arranged. And so you would have a ceremony, usually a private ceremony, where you were viewed as married apart from consummating the relationship. You didn't live together. You didn't do any of that. In fact, it was about a 12-month period where the husband would then go and he would build a home, a permanent home for him and his new wife, and that she would make any final arrangements for the wedding and also under the leadership of her mother prepare for her life as a wife and soon-to-be mother. So they were betrothed. And so in one sense, they were married. And in another sense, they weren't married. 
And so as betrothed, Joseph could seek uh, to divorce an unconsummated uh, marriage. Again, if we can use these, we don't really have a good English word for it. So they are betrothed, and they're, they're marching their way to Bethlehem. And of course, the story, uh, they arrived there in verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Let me just add a little footnote there. The word firstborn is important because I don't know if he went to public school, no one can or not, but firstborn implies a secondborn. Did you catch that? I don't, I don't know, is, is that too complicated for us to grasp? Which means Mary and Joseph had other children, contrary to the Catholic doctrine uh, that Joseph and Mary remained virgins the rest of their life, which beyond just what the Bible says, that's wrong. That is a sin for a married couple to remain virgins for their whole life. That, that just violates uh, uh, the text of Scripture. Nevertheless, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, right? So she, she's going to swaddle her, her baby, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So you, we know how the story goes, right? They, they enter by foot now, very pregnant Mary, and uh, walks into Bethlehem. Uh, Joseph, no doubt, had gotten on Expedia uh, app on his iPhone and had uh, uh, pre-bought and pre-preserved a room at the local Holiday Inn. Gets to Holiday Inn and discovers the lady up in the front just typing away. And, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but your your room has been double booked. We don't have a room for you here, right? And so now Joe's like, well, now what am I going to do? i got to go out there to, to, to a wife. He's going to give birth any second. We were hoping to give birth in, in, in the upper room. But nevertheless, we, 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 what are we going to do, right? That's the way we typically think of the story. It's probably not the way it actually works. The word there for in is the same Greek word used later in Luke for the word upper room. So don't think of this as a holiday inn, that because of the census, a lot of people were in Bethlehem. That is a very good possibility that it was overflowing because of the census. But don't think that Joseph, you know, double booked a room or he forgot to uh, uh, plan the trip, you know, that his iPhone didn't get good service between uh, uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem. That's not really what it is you have here. At this time, uh, most of your homes were, were two stories in one sense or another. Your wealthier ones had an upper room where they would mostly live. Some of their animals would live on, on the main floor. Others would they live on the main floor, perhaps even with some of the animals. But the upper room was more of a roof. Remember, this is the Middle East. You don't have uh, cold winters the way we do it here, except it was 70 degrees yesterday on Christmas. I don't know if you saw this on my Facebook or Instagram or, or the Twitter yesterday. I, I, I go running on Christmas every year. I've done it the last three or four years. Love it. The city is very quiet, and everyone leaves you alone. It is awesome. You can just jam all day in your ear. and just. It, I love running on Christmas. And last year, it was 18 degrees when I went running. This year, it was 68 degrees running. Now, I have no other point to make other than that is a neat little nugget that you can just put in your pocket and never use again. But nevertheless, what you likely have here is maybe he had arranged to, to, to have this child in someone's house, the upper room, sometimes called a bridal chamber where, uh, uh, and whatnot. But nevertheless, um, you, you know, something like that may, may have been arranged, but we don't really know why there wasn't room in the upper room, the inn, if you want to use that word. Could have been a number that could have been poor planning. I mean, most men are really good at pre-planning trips with the family, right? <laughs> Am I right, wives? And or it could be that, that uh, there was an unexpected guest that had arrived, uh, or it could just be uh, the scandalous nature of her pregnancy. I mean, we, we just don't know. For whatever reason, there was no room for them at the Holiday Inn. And, and, and this, uh, again, it, it does add to the possibility Bethlehem was unusually crowded. So what do they do is, is now they are essentially a homeless couple. And so they find themselves uh, a, 
a barn, if you will, and there she goes into labor. And, and she gives birth to the child. We're given no details regarding the, the, the birth of the child. I have no doubt that he cried, despite what Away in a Manger says. But nevertheless, we, we will skip that. But she wraps him in swaddling clothes, swaddling cloths. These bandages, that's basically what they are, uh, had a practical and a spiritual importance at this time. For practical reasons, Jewish babies would have been uh, washed in salt water, rubbed with salt, and then swaddled tights. Uh, Jews believe this was good for the baby. Now, we don't do all of that, but we, we'll, we'll, we'll wash a baby up and we swaddle them, right? I remember we, we took um, uh, uh, baby classes. I don't know what they were called before we had our firstborn. Um, and I really, you know, my wife needed it out of the sense of what is, what is about to happen to my body sort of thing. I needed it to support her and also because I'd never really held a baby in my life. So you, you talk about a newbie at this whole baby stuff. Like, honey, the baby's crying. I don't know why, right? But one of the things I learned is how to swaddle a baby. I was like a ninja at swaddling babies. I was quite proud of myself there. I can come in there, all these ladies, they ooh and all, like, i tell you what's wrong with the kid. It needs to be swaddled. Boom, boom, boom. Got it, right? Baby's happy. Here, someone else hold him and change the diaper, right? I could do the swaddling thing, right? And so you're just going to swaddle the baby. Very practical uh, reasons for this. There, there, there is a spiritual importance for this act. In Ezekiel 16, God condemns Israel for their apostasy and idolatry. And he complains in that passage, verses 3 and 4, chapter 16, they were not washed or rubbed with salt or swaddled. It's, it's a metaphor that God uses to describe Israel. Thus, for the Jews, they, they, they took that passage and they partook of this ceremony of a newborn baby uh, to signal faithfulness. Not to do this for your child was to indicate it was a sign of apostasy. So this act of, of, of wrapping him swaddling cloths was a practical reason, a very good practical reason, but also a spiritual reason as well. So that, that's, that's the signs. You will see this sign, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. But in verses 8 to 20, we, we see the shepherds, right? And we see there in verse 8, in the same region, there are Bethlehem, there are shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. Now, shepherds are frequently referenced in the Bible, surprisingly so, because no mother, uh, by today's standard, would, would raise a son hoping that one day he would become a shepherd. Uh, it's like, like hoping your child grow up to be a state worker. I mean, no one wants that for them. I just, I just can't imagine. But if you were to announce the birth of the Son of God, we would think naturally, particularly as Americans, the last people you would reach out to would be shepherds. A couple of reasons for this. One, uh, lower economic status. Uh, they, they were of a lower class, uh, that their work involved menial tasks that the poorly trained, poorly educated, and the poorly paid could do. They were shepherds. In fact, so much so that often people would relegate the task to children. They were also of a lower social status, particularly in the religious sphere. Uh, because they were taking care of sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they could not partake in uh, religious ceremonies and rituals or follow the law. Uh, one of the main ones would have been they didn't keep the Sabbath. They had work on, 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 uh, on the Sabbath. I don't know if you grew up in a farming community or not. Of course, of course I did. And um, it was not unusual for farmers to, to get up early. They had to do a lot of their, their farming tasks that morning for coming to work. And sometimes you could tell. Uh, they also use the same excuse for hunting season. I don't know if, if that works or not, but uh, they would. But, but as a result, shepherds were oftentimes outcasts to Jewish society. 
And yet, we see here, God announces the birth of his son to the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, the despised of the despised, the outcast of the outcasts. Why? Well, one is because we are to see that Christ becomes a type of shepherd, like Moses and Abraham and David before him. Certainly those, those thematic uh, uh, motifs are, are clearly there. Another is, is for us to emphasize the humility of Christ incarnation of itself. What is it that Paul says in Philippians 2? He made, that is Christ, made himself nothing. Regardless, the, the proximity of Bethlehem to Jerusalem leads most scholars to agree, and I think there's good reason for this, to see that these sheep that the shepherds were watching were likely being raised to be used in the temple for sacrifices. Notice the message there in verses 10 to 14 of of the angels. Good news has come. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. They are preaching the good news. And the good news, the gospel is that Christ the Lord has been born in Bethlehem, who has been sent by God as God to deliver men and women around the world from their sins. We call this the gospel, and it is announced by the angels. And so, verses 15 to 20, the, the, the shepherds respond. First of all, they, they, they respond to the message of the gospel, to, to the source of the gospel, right? And then they go to say, well, where is this good news? And they find him lying in a manger, a scene they will be familiar with, a feeding trough. Verse 17 to 19, they, they go and they, they, they spread the gospel. They go and tell other people about the gospel. And finally, they worship the God of the gospel in verse 20. If only I could think of parallels for us today to follow with the shepherds, right? To hear the message of the gospel means we must go to the source of the gospel. To receive the good news of Jesus, which then means we share the good news of Jesus. All the while, we we give God glory and praise and honor for the good news of Jesus. If only I could think of a good application for you and I this Sunday morning. See if you can come up with one. Finally, there is the sacrifice that the young couple offers in verses 21 to 24. At the end of the eight days, this was the typical practice. So what you have then when a child is born is an entire week of creation. So you get seven days. And then the second week uh, begins with new creation itself. You get the ceremony act of, of circumcision. Um, and it was at this time of circumcision that you would name your child. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, the same thing happens with John the Baptist. What is interesting about naming John the Baptist is that John, it seems, was not a family name. Clearly, it was a name given to him by God. And so what happens after giving birth? Uh, Jewish women are considered unclean for 33 weeks. It's about or 33 days, rather. It's about five weeks. Uh, after that period, the couple would have gone to Jerusalem where they offer a sacrifice to God uh, as a result. And there are two options to give in the sacrifice. The first is you give a lamb and a bird. The second option is that you would give a pair of doves. The difference between those has to do with your economic status. This is why most people believe that Joseph and Mary were very poor, because they offer the sacrifice of the impoverished. So what you have then is the creator of the world enters the world in poverty and humility, laid in a manger among the poor. So what is the purpose that Luke is trying to get to you? Remember that Luke is trying to tell us something about Jesus. He's trying to show us something. We oftentimes read this story, and we read it in the context of 21st century American Christmas traditions. 
But Luke is actually making an argument. It's part of a broader argument that he, he is making. And we could say just in general, this is a story of the birth of a humbled king destined to be a savior. And these are thrown throughout the passage, many of which are easy to overlook. For example, uh, Luke's reference to Augustus Caesar uh, in, 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 in this passage is not an accident. It's not an accident at all. So what we are told then right from the beginning is here's Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire, and then there is Jesus. The contrasts are, are, are very, very evident. And we are to juxtapose these two kings. And, and the story is written that we see them as kings. One was born and remains in a palace. The other is born homeless. One takes from the people through taxes. The other gives to others through his death and resurrection. One saved Rome, the other will save the world. One is an earthly king, the other is a heavenly king. And you'll notice that, uh, again, verse 7, that he's laid in a trough and his dwelling place is among animals. You don't get more lower than this. What a contrast we get between these two kings. The, the entire world would have known about the birth of Augustus' son. Uh, hardly anyone but mere shepherds were told of the birth of Christ. But you'll notice that he's not merely a humbled king. He is Savior. Again, verse 10, the angels come to bring good news to to the world. Uh, There, fear not, behold, I bring you the gospel, the good news of great joy that will be for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Uh, unto you born on this day in the city of David, which, again, if we had time, we would have gone to the story of David, but we've looked at David enough in recent years, a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. This is the good news. He, he is announced. He is not only a humbled king, he is uh, an eternal Savior. And in fact, we can look at verse, verse, verse 12, where he is wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is verse 7 and verse 12. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. Again, that's a practical issue. Spiritually, we, we talked about that. There's a, there, there's a gospel connection there as well that we dare not uh, miss. These, these bandages of swaddling cloths are, are significant. Uh, because... Ask yourself, where did they get these cloths? I, again, I, I, I grew up pretty much on a farm. You know, we, we didn't farm ourselves, and, and now we live with city folk now. But, but, but I, I'm guessing you and I don't carry around uh, bandages just in our back pocket. You know, you put it in that hidden compartment of your wallet, you know, right? I, I doubt any of us carrying this. Even some of you ladies with a purse, you know, the size of a pickup truck, you probably don't have bandages in there, Right? So where do these come from? There's two options. One is that Jewish law required, uh, because Jewish law required the deceased to be buried immediately, what men and women would do as they traveled was they would have around their waist a bandage. So if they came across someone who had suddenly died, they could wrap them and they could bury them. Or if they themselves suddenly died, someone could then come and and take care of them. You see something similar, I believe. You can check this for me. It's off the top of my head. The story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Doesn't the Samaritan then uh, see him and wraps him and then takes him to to the hospital? Uh, That's probably what it is that you have going on here. Is that part of their traveling gear? Uh, for us, we, you got to make sure you have enough snacks for the kids in the back seat. For them, you would, this would be one of the things you would carry, you would travel. The, the other option 
uh, was that shepherds commonly had these. You remember that these shepherds are raising sheep, many of whom would be offered as sacrifices in the temple. And sheep had to be without spot or blemish. And one of the most dangerous parts of any sheep was when they're first born as lambs. Because like any little high-energy child, they're very wild. And when they get wild, they get hurt. Again, like any toddler or young child. And so what the shepherds would do is they would have in abundance these bandages and they would swallow, if you will, these, these infant lambs to keep them from becoming blemished. And so here they have out in the field around a bunch of sheep and shepherds and, and it's very likely right there among them is these swaddling claws. Now, why is that detail important? It's important because both options foreshadow the gospel. Here Christ comes as a shepherd and as a lamb who offers himself on behalf of others upon the cross. Not only that, the other foretells of burial cloth. He will one day be wrapped. His mother will be there. See him wrapped again as he's laid into a dark tomb. And just as he, the, 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 the bandages are removed of him at his birth, so they will be no more after his death. Regardless, we are giving beautiful gospel foreshadowing. Christ who will conquer death, and he will conquer death as the sacrificial lamb. I think G.K. Chesterton, who I am just really rediscovering in recent months, you can actually thank the Babylon Bee guys for that, um, came across this quote uh, this morning actually on, on my Twitter. There are three things prefigured and promised concerning the child who received the gifts, that he should be crowned like a king, that he should be worshipped like a god, and that he should die like a man. And these would sound like Eastern flattery if it were not for the third. I love that. Crowned like a king, worshipped like a god, and die like a man. We've been looking at the story of, of Bethlehem. Ephrathath. And through that story, we've been looking at the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I was reading it this week, and that last verse is the weirdest verse. See, Philip Brooks wrote that hymn in the 19th century following uh, a travel he went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem on horseback, and it inspired him to write this hymn. He said, quote, Before dark, we rode out of town to the fields where they say the shepherds saw the star. It is a fenced piece of ground with a cave in it in which, strangely enough, they put the shepherds. Somewhere in those fields we rode through, the shepherds must have been. As we passed, the shepherds were still keeping watch over their flocks or leading them home to the phone. He took this trip, following the trail of the shepherd to Christ. But in that final verse, he connects the birth of the Savior in the world to the birth of the Savior in the human hearts. He writes, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. At the end of the day, it's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? 
Not about the gifts we may receive on Christmas morning or from family and friends and strangers, but rather about the gift we've already received. Where our sins are cast out and He enters in. And there He abides with us as our God with us. The miracle of Christmas is that the city of sorrow is the city of Messiah. That because of that, the city of the King has become a city of redemption. And through Him, we have salvation. And through Him, what does the angel say? We have joy for peace. Himself has entered the world. That's the good news of Christmas. Let's pray.